in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends. You set them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel it's time to rock your midlife with dr ellen albertson are you ready to get real break through and learn how to make your midlife the best time of your life take on those life challenges and turn them into opportunities let's rock here's dr ellen Hey, everybody, Dr. Ellen here, the Midlife Whisperer. Welcome to today's episode. I am thrilled that you are here because we have two amazing guests, and today is going to be all about empowerment, understanding what empowerment is, and understanding what you can do wherever you are at in your life 
to be more empowered. So our first guest is going to focus on empowering you as you face aging, because I know that is an issue at midlife, right? We live in a society where 50% of us are midlife or older, and only about 15% of the media that we see refers back to us. That is changing. We are standing up and standing proud, but we're going to be talking about how you empower yourself as you age. And then our second guest is going to deal with a really important issue, which is really her light work. She's amazing. And she's going to be talking all about betrayal. So if you have ever been betrayed by a loved one, you're going to want to listen to this. And I know both of them are going to inform and inspire you. So let's just talk a little bit about empowerment, what it is and how we get there. So empowerment's actually a noun. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as authority of power given to someone to do something and the process of becoming stronger and more confident, especially in controlling one's life and claiming one's rights. So I like to think about, you know, quoting either Nietzsche or Kelly Clarkson, whatever doesn't kill you, what makes you stronger, you know, and we become empowered by facing the tough stuff. And there's a lot of tough stuff to face at midlife. You know, you may feel kind of like you're in a work situation that is not feeling uh, fulfilling you. Maybe you're having issues in your marriage or your relationships. Your kids are getting older. You're facing empty nests. Maybe you're facing aging parents or the death of a loved one. You're feeling maybe a loss of identity. There's a lot going on at midlife. And, you know, the, the issue so often when I meet people is, our brains, it's neuroscience, our brains don't like change. So when you face all of these issues that are jolting, a lot of times you want to just duck and cover. Your brain's not interested in you being empowered. It's not interested in you being happy. It's here to, to keep you safe. And facing those fears, doing the things that empower you uh, really is a scary thing. And often our brains tell us just to be uncomfortably comfortable, but today's show is going to really help you with that. I'll tell you a little bit about my story. For years, I was so disempowered. I was in a marriage where I gave my power away. I let somebody control me. Even, you know, as a kid, I, I wanted to be the good girl. I'm a recovering people pleaser and just forming my life around pleasing others and just giving it all away. And what came to a head about four or five years ago, I left my marriage. I became empowered. I uh, was out of my own for the first time, had a big health crisis where I went blind uh, in one of my eyes three times and fortunately got my sight back, but faced some really tough stuff. And if you've been listening, I've been talking candidly. I was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer about a week ago, um, and it is scary and it's challenging, but I am empowering myself you know, in a number of ways, because you know, we have a choice. We can transform or we can go and duck and cover we can have a breakthrough or a breakdown. And it's this isn't about uh, to toxic positivity where everything is like great all the time and we can't be negative. We need to digest our difficult emotions. And that's what self-compassion is all about, which is uh, one of the things that I really uh, teach and learn. It was the topic of my dissertation. It's about treating yourself like a good friend and asking yourself, what do I need right now? So it's not about bypassing your difficult emotions. It's not about our spiritual bypassing where you're like, well, I'm just going to do hours of yoga and that'll elevate me and I'll get beyond this. It's about both holding the difficult emotions, but at the same time, empowering for me is really about mindset. And it's about bringing my self-compassion and my mindfulness practice into it. Uh, the Buddha tells this story where he asks, you know, you get you get shot by an arrow. That's the, the shit happens, right? So you get cancer, you are facing a divorce, maybe you're facing a job issue. And you, you, can't, you don't shoot yourself again. The first arrow hurts, the second arrow hurts more. The second arrow is the mindset. It's the woe is me, this shouldn't be happening. It's the ruminating, it's the dwelling on it. And you can avoid the second arrow. And when you avoid the second arrow, you avoid a lot of suffering and you have a better outcome. You put on your big girl panties, you get off your fear potty and you get the information you need. You work on your mindset, you get the support you need. Um, and you really think about how do you want your life to look and feel? 
that's a question I have for you. If you're feeling stuck right now and you're not happy about it, rather than just being comfortable and uncomfortable, ask yourself, how do I want my life to look and feel? And start to visualize and see that. Write it out. You know, write a letter to God, the universe, dear universe. I want to be healthy. I want to be well. I want to be in love. I want to live to a hundred. I want to live to the fullest. That's what I call your destination vibration. Um, really feeling the emotions of who you want to be, how you want to feel. It's a powerful way, something anyone can do to get empowered and then create a plan. I have so many clients who come to me and they're like, oh, I hate my, I hate my marriage. I just wish he would, he or she would just disappear and they don't do anything about it. You got to make a plan, start to get some information, do some research. I'm doing a lot of research around my treatment plan. I am laughing my ass off watching stupid rom-coms every evening, dancing, hula hooping, doing silly videos on Instagram because that's what keeps my vibe high and lights me up. But you need a plan. You need to figure out what am I going to do? How do I get educated? And our guests are really going to help you do that today to really inspire you to get empowered at midlife because you know you have a you have a choice at midlife there is certainly a dip in happiness there's a u-shaped happiness curve across 138 countries there's a dip in happiness at around age 47 but the good news is you can make the most of your upswing so if you are feeling lost sad aren't happy with your life you know, what you do with your life is up to you. You are totally responsible for your life and where you are at. Even if bad stuff happens, you can choose to transform or you can choose to, you know, stay stuck. So I hope today is going to give you some ideas, but keep your mindset positive. Do those things that let you up, be your own best friend, practice self-compassion and write out a plan and start to take some steps in the right direction. So, you know, our next guest knows a thing or two about empowering yourself at midlife. He is literally written the book on it. It is a marvelous book that has me laughing until the tears come out. It's called Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old. Um, his name is Stephen Petro, and he candidly addresses the fears the frustrations and stereotypes that accompany aging. He offers a blueprint for the new old age and an understanding that engaging, I'm sorry, aging and illness are not the same. As he writes, I meant the list to serve as a pointed reminder to me to make different choices, those empowered choices. When I eventually crossed the threshold to old, He's an award-winning journalist and author who's best known for his Washington Post and New York Times essays on aging, health, and civility. He's also an opinion columnist for USA Today, where he writes about civil discourse and manners. His 2019 TED Talk is fabulous. I just watched it today. It's called Three Ways to Practice Civility. It's been viewed nearly 2 million times and translated into 16 languages. And I'm so honored to have him on the show. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife. Ellen, it is a pleasure to be with you. Um, and I'm sorry to hear about your diagnosis. That That is challenging. And I shared with you right before we went on the air that um, today is actually the anniversary of um, 38th anniversary since I had my first surgery for testicular cancer. And um, I really learned a lot over um, the years since then about empowerment because I felt at that time I was 26 that I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the thing in me. I didn't really know myself. And uh, through that adversity, um, eventually came resilience. So uh, my heart is with you. Well, thank you. And there are lots of silver linings, right? I mean, you talk, if you know, the book, you talk so candidly about some difficult issues and even some things that some people have embarrassment, even shame about. So bravo to you, because I think the more we shine a light on these issues, the more comfortable that we, we can get. So um, tell people, why did you write the book? What was your motivation? So I started keeping this list of, um, of the stupid things that I thought my parents were doing as they were getting older. And they were in their 70s at this point, And I was in my early 50s. And so, you know, here I am. I'm a journalist. I'm the, the eldest of three. I'm kind of the one who's always like had a mouth on him. So um, very much like my mother. I'll call it sassy, and that's um, that's a nice way to put it sometimes. But so I, I kept this list, and I thought, you know, they're not making all the choices that would be best for them, and their world was getting smaller and smaller. This list was getting bigger and bigger, and finally, um, I wrote a column for the New York Times, 
And it had a much more uh, milk toast headline than the book wound up having. It was called Things I Will Do Differently When I Get Old. And uh, what surprised me and my editors was this, this column was number one for about two weeks, which is a long time in newspaper days. And then what surprised me was people started sending me their own lists. And I got about 200 lists from readers and they were doing the very same thing that I was doing. And there's a lot of convergence and, and a fair amount of um, sort of innovative um, promises and pledges. But the overall thrust of everybody's efforts was we wanted to make a pledge to ourselves to try to do things differently, to try to do things smarter and better than we were seeing you know, from the generation above us. And it was really, I'll tell you, Ellen, it was really easy to make a list, fairly easy to write the book. But now I'm at this point, I'm 64, where it's time to be implementing that list. And I have a, I have a much greater sense of empathy for my parents now at 64 than I did at 51, 52, because there are real you know, choices that need to be made. Um, so that's where the book came from. And, you know, these are kind of difficult topics, you know, aging, illness, disability. So I do try to bring humor to them. I try to bring real life stories of my own, of my parents, of my siblings as, as a way in. Yeah. And you write about the power of laughter. Can you share a little bit about the story where you discuss that and what are some of the, the benefits in terms of uh, aging gracefully and also just the health benefits of laughing more? Well, I actually remember when I was undergoing my cancer treatment, um, there was a book by Norman Cousins. Um, and this was published in, in the 1980s, um, Laughter is the Best Medicine. And that is a field that has been growing and growing with more and more science you know, in, in the 30, 40 years since then. And I think that we all know anecdotally that when we laugh, you know, we have this release and there's a hormonal release that, that's part of that. And we get a lift. And that part of the endorphins and, and other hormones. So, you know, not that every situation is a laughable one, but often, um, you know, there is humor to be discovered in, 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 in our lives and even at difficult junctures. And I, you know, I've been finding more and more that even at times of sorrow or grief or loss, there is joy and happiness and laughter and you have to be open to it. And sometimes you have to seek it. And, uh, you know, one, one example that just comes to mind, you know, from the book and from my life was uh, way before my parents passed, we were looking for um, burial plots for the family because we all sort of wanted to be together, but we needed them to take the lead. And they were very like, sure, we want to do that. And then my mom would cancel. Oh, I have a manicure that day. And then my dad would cancel. Oh, you know, I have to walk the dog that day. And finally, we got out to the cemetery and it's, you know, it's a beautiful cemetery and my dad goes wandering off and he finds the, um, the, head, the, the grave marker for Clay Felker, who was the founder of New York Magazine and a fellow journalist like my dad. And my dad comes back and says, oh, Clay Felker's here. And then my mom chimes, chimes in, well, that means Gail Sheehy will be here when she dies. <laughs> We're in. And that was what happened, but, and it was, there was lightness in this, but it, it, it helped us come to a really challenging um, decision um, with, with a little bit of, of light and love. And, and yes, Gal is now next to Clay. Yeah, so laughter really is is super helpful. I mean, I think it's appointment empowerment, right? That, that there are choices that we can make. What are um, some of the other empowering tips that you have for people who are listening and saying, and I love, I love the, uh, the chapter about your hair. So often I find women are just trying to look 26, right? And so just allowing yourself to be okay with where you find, I'm not saying whether you color your hair or not is totally up to you, that's fine, but being okay and saying, you know, I can be beautiful and, and vibrant at any age. What are some of the other kind of attitude, mindset, empowerment tips that you have for people who are struggling with aging? Yeah. So that is a great question. And, um, and I have to say that in many ways, this book is about trying to make us more aware of all of the decisions we make on a daily basis that we don't really think about, but have such great impact on how we understand and view ourselves and then how we present ourselves you know, to the world. So the, 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 actual, the first chapter is actually about um, adventures in, in hair coloring and and um, Diane Sawyer, the ABC newscaster, once told me, well, you know, Stephen, um, anchors don't get older. They only get blonder. And, 
know, being in journalism and having some degree of vanity, I went and went off and colored my hair. I like wound up having this disaster. My my then husband, who's now my ex-husband, is the only time he ever paid attention to my hair. And you know, and what I learned from that was starting to go inside more find my authentic self and perhaps my authentic self was going to go back to the colorist or, or not. But the, the point is, you know, find your authentic self and, um, and try to feel comfortable with him, her, or, or them. Um, you know, others are not defining ourselves by our ailments, by our illnesses. And uh, I just want to read one, one quick section, if I may. Sure. That comes it comes from the chapter um, called uh, uh, I Won't Join the Organ Recital. And you, you referenced this I love this that early. chapter. It's actually my favorite chapter, too. So I won't join the organ recital. It can happen anywhere at any gathering, anytime a few people of a certain age get together. First, the fanfare. What's new with you? Then the overture, the high cholesterol, the, pre the prediabetes, and the bum knee. And before you know it, the music swells and it's the full-blown concert of sciatica, angina, and replacement joints. Welcome to the front row of the worst musical review imaginable. And so what I'm talking about there is, I think we've all been in similar situations. And the problem is, we, if we talk ad nauseum about our health issues, we start to think of ourselves as, I'm a depressive, I have cardiovascular disease, I'm a cancer survivor, I'm so on and so forth, rather than I am all these attributes, you know, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle, I'm a writer. Uh, and then we convey, we convey ourselves in our words. So I, I say, you know, limit that, that, that part of the conversation to, you know, one drink or one mocktail, um, but be sure to, um, to be expansive about who you are. And, and I will say, just because, you know, we've been talking a little bit about cancer here, that really does not fall into this group of, of, um, of, of ailments. When you have a serious condition, you do want, if you're comfortable, to be able to talk about it, to reach out for support. That's um, a different situation than, I'm gonna call, say some of the milder, milder diagnoses. So don't define yourself by, by your medical conditions is, is, is another one. Yeah, that's such an important point too, because when that becomes the focus of your life, it really drains your life energy. So I find one of the best things for me is, you know, take that observer. I know that you, you meditate, you practice mindfulness of just, can you be that observer when I find myself going into this place and like, I was up at two o'clock in the morning last night thinking about, oh my gosh, chemo, what does this all mean? And I just was like, stop. It's not serving you. It's where your brain automatically goes, goes. But I think people do that too. They become, like, as you said, they become their illness. So it's important. It's almost like worrying about it is like praying for what you don't want to happen. When you constantly complain, you constantly worry, that drains your energy. Your vibration is lower and it's good to, to move on to other topics. Let's talk about my, my personal favorite chapter was the surfing chapter, which is called, um, I, will, I think it's, I will not be afraid to fall. Is that what, uh, and you talk about that and then you go on to talk about learning to surf. Can you tell us a little bit about the relationship between being scared to fall and being able to turn that around to, to actually ride a wave all the way to shore sure. at midlife? <laughs> yes, and um, I love that chapter too because I learned so much from one of my nieces, Jesse, who was then, then 21. And uh, we were on a family vacation in Hawaii and I had been a very intermittent surfer in my life, intermittent like once every 10 years. So terrible, but loved it. Uh, and at this point, so I guess this was about four years ago, I had developed this fear of falling. And I had seen, I had seen both my mother and my father and my grandparents, you know, have a fear of falling, continue to fall, not really learn the lessons. And then, and then my dad had a terrible fall and that is actually what precipitated his passing. So so I wanted to use this surfing experience in part as a way to learn how to deal with that fear, to confront it. And, um, and so I did, and it was, there was a lot of falling that happened, but I wasn't getting hurt. And I learned some, some actual techniques in, in how to fall in a way that, that made me safe. But what I saw from my niece was she was not falling and not, it wasn't because she was a great surfer, it's because she had this focus and she was focused in this case on the shore and she kept her eye on the prize. My, you know, I saw myself on the surfboard. I'm like looking over here and I'm looking over there and, and some underlying fear. And um, so 
by stepping up uh, and confronting the fear, but also just saying, what is my goal? And then staying focused on that really helped me with that, that whole um, question of, of falling and balance. And also helped me to understand a little bit more what balance is. You know, if you think about like being knocked or losing your balance, you know, our first response is to tighten up and become like stoic and strong. But look at trees. The trees that will survive a windstorm are the ones that have the flexibility. They're the weeping willows that can kind of move with, with the um, external um, forces. And that's what we need to be able to do. And that's also what you need to do when you're surfing. You cannot be rigid on the board. You have to be kind of a flowing tree to mix my... <laughs> That's a good note. And also it's, I live in Vermont. So it's, you okay. know, if you're, if you skid, you don't put your foot on the brake. So any of this sort of stiffening, and I think just going into our, you know, conversation about empowerment, it's about learning to be flexible and about not, not, not looking fear, fear when you are afraid, you freeze. Usually you get blinders on, you're either freezing your fight, freeze or flee and you aren't able to use your cognitive abilities and stay on the board and enjoy your trip. So I think right. so much of this book is so much about not taking yourself so seriously, um, being flexible like the tree and also living your life to the fullest because regardless if, if you're six years old or 60, the rest of your life is in front of you and you have choices that really determine what shows up in your life. Those people who are talking about their diseases and always focused on that, that's what their life is about. If you want your life to be fun and be about something bigger and bolder, you got to change your focus. Well, something you said, you know, about being up at two o'clock at night, worrying about chemotherapy, you know, we can't always control, well, we can't really control what happens in the world around us. Things happen, things come at us. You know, what, I've, what I have learned through my meditation practice and, and, and through living is we can control to a much larger extent how we respond to those forces, to those events. And, um, you know, it sounded like you had a moment there where you said, okay, I see what's going on here. I'm going to break that chain. And I've really, I've, I've really worked hard in my own life, but I think when it comes to aging, things will happen, but how do we respond to that? And that is something we can own. That is something that we can really work on to make, um, to make for better responses, to become more adaptable, to, um, to take them on rather than to get knocked down by them. Yeah, that's a fabulous point. I want to talk a little bit too about, you know, what can we do as a society? I was looking at one of your statistics that you quote from the World Health Organization that older adults subjected to ageism live an average of seven and a half years less than people with more positive views about getting older. And so, it, you know, it's each of our responsibilities to change our perspective. But what do we do as a culture? To really, I think ageism is one of those isms we're starting to talk about it. And I think that more people who are getting older want to be seen and heard, but there is still this big stigma, particularly in our culture around ageism. So what can we do kind of individually and collectively? Yeah, I mean, if you look at racism, if you look at sexism, just as two examples, you know, people generally have agreed that that's wrong. And, you know, uh, that's kind of a collective value. Ageism, you know, not so much. You know, it's kind of you know fun for some people, fun in, in in air quotes, to to make fun of older people, and even older people make fun of themselves. I um I have a birthday card from last year that some friends my age gave me, and um, there are two cows on the front of it, and one of them is trying to hear the other one, and then you open it up, and it says. It's in the tiniest print, so you really can't read it. And so it says, you know, happy birthday. Now you're blind. And, um, and how do you like this music card? Well, it's not a music card, so you think you're deaf. So, you know, it, you know it's ha-ha funny, but these are the kind of things that we then also internalize. And that is where you get to um, the scientists telling us that we're going to live less long if we internalize that. But then you, you really need to look at the larger culture. You know, how are people over 50 depicted? even if they are depicted in, you know, in the media, in movies. And um, a lot of that is, you know, you know, we're idiots who don't know how to use technology. You know, we get scammed, um, you know, we're hobbling around. And, you know, the problem with that is, you know, everyone else is absorbing that. And so we need to really work to change those images. And, you know, there are groups out there that are, you know, very forceful about doing that. Um, Mary Furlong and her organization is one of them, Third Wave. Um, but it's really important to be able to see these things because we're kind of passive observers a lot of the time and we don't even realize. Yeah, those are awesome points. And I think 
for people who are listening to it's each of us, if we show up empowered and feeling good about ourselves as we're aging, we really are shining that light and also empowering others to do the same. And just want to reflect on sort of all, all of humanity that I think that the biggest issue we're having is we don't see the divinity in everyone and every everything and each other and ourselves. And I know that on your platform, you talk a lot about queer youth and really helping to empower them. How do we extend that too? So that again, we're just empowering everyone and just allowing everyone to be themselves. And I have a uh, queer child and I have a trans sister and it's near and dear to my heart. And I feel like some, some people who are facing these issues are kind of out there to say, this is who I am. I'm an individual and I don't want a label. I don't want a label of what my gender is, or maybe I want to change that. I, this is who I am. And I am wanting to be valued for my authentic self. But do you have thoughts on kind of the work that you're doing and how we can all just embrace everybody regardless of gender orientation or sexual orientation, um, age, race, just be humans. Well, that is, I think, one of the greatest challenges of these times because we're more polarized than ever before. You know, so many people tend to think in binaries, you know, black, white, old, young, straight, gay, so on and so forth. And the world is not binary. You know, the world is a spectrum when, wherever you look. And I think that takes a recalibration of, of how we understand um, our lives and our families and, and our communities. Uh, you know, that being said, it's a very challenging time when you look at really the political atmosphere. You know, you have, you have Florida with, with Don't Say Gay. And, and then yesterday I read that they banned math books that might have had some like social studies examples in them. And so now math is, you know, considered part of critical race theory. And what I really think is there's so much fear um, of difference rather than embracing difference, which I think is such a beautiful thing and helps us to explore different worlds and get to know different people. But there is fear of difference and, uh, and that is driving us apart. And, you know, I have found in the talks I give and the work that I do, learning how to listen again is really important, but learning how to be vulnerable with each other and be open about who we are, what we fear. That is the way by telling stories that we often can connect. But with so much noise, it, it's it's both um, hard to do and it's risky. Yeah, that's so true. But you know, Brene Brown also talks about that it is vulnerability is really at the center of heartfelt connection, and that we have so much more in common than we don't. And I think one other thing too is when we when we practice self compassion for ourselves, we have so much self compassion for other people. I'm always telling my clients who are struggling with relationships to have compassion for that person. You don't know what someone else is going through, and we all are going through our own journeys. But it is true we're taught to think in terms of binary and in terms of us and them. But fortunately there are people like yourself who are, who are changing that. So we're going to take a break now. If you are listening, this is Rock Your Midlife. If you would like to get in touch with me, you, you have a comment about the show, you would like my free gift, 10 tips to rock your midlife, just go to my website. It is themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. And we will be back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Midlife can be challenging. You may be sandwiched between growing kids and aging parents, dealing with menopause and trying to find work-life balance. Or maybe your life looks good on the outside, but inside you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and wondering how to get your confidence and joy back. You need someone to help you get real, discover who you are and navigate life. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I'm here to help. I've worked with hundreds of midlife women, went from surviving to thriving at midlife myself, and literally wrote the book on this pivotal time period, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, nutritionist, and board-certified health and wellness coach with 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. I provide nutrition consults, life coaching, and free resources to help you transform your body, your mind, your career, and your relationships. Feeling stuck? 
I can help you figure out how to live authentically with joy, passion, and purpose. Every Wednesday here on Voice America, live from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I share my passion for making the most of midlife and my expertise on the most pressing midlife issues from changing family relationships, managing stress, and securing enough resources to rediscovering yourself. I also interview experts from around the world to help you navigate your life. For more information, please visit my website, themidlifewhisperer.com for fabulous resources, including my free gift, 10 Tips to Rock Your Midlife. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Hope to see you there soon. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to Rock Your Midlife with Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Have a question for Dr. Ellen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Welcome back to Rock Your Midlife. I am so happy you are here. If you want to get in touch with me, just Head on over to themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. And we are talking all about empowerment. We were talking a moment ago with Stephen Petro, who has written a great book called uh, Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old. I encourage you to get it. It is so well-written, so entertaining, and so incredibly empowering and informative. We're going to switch gears a little bit here um, in a moment and talk about betrayal. And I first want to tell you about a client that I worked with about a year ago. Uh, Her name is Linda. I write about her in my book, Rock Your Midlife. When she came to me, she was at the lowest low point. Uh, This is what happened to her. One day, her husband came home. He literally packed a duffel bag. This is after like a 25-year marriage. And he ran off with his massage therapist. Shortly thereafter, she realized that she was diagnosed with having the BRCA2 gene, which is a gene which uh, puts you at a higher risk of all kinds of reproductive cancers. And I'm happy to say that Debbie, um, I'm sorry, Linda totally rebuilt her body, rebuilt her life, is now in a great relationship. She decided to go the provider route to really save her life, but she got over her betrayal. And then we're gonna really talk about that because betrayal is something that happens to millions and millions of people. And my next guest is literally the world's expert on the topic. She is Dr. Debbie Silber, and she is the founder of the Post-Betrayal Transformation Institute. She is a holistic psychologist, a health mindset and personal development expert, and she is the author of Trust Again. She is also an international best-selling author of The Unshakable Woman and From Hardened to Healed, The Effortless Path to Release Resistance 
Get Unstuck and Create a Life You Love. In addition, she has been on Fox, CBS, The Dr. Oz Show. She's done two TEDx talks, which are awesome. She's an award-winning speaker and coach dedicated to helping people move past their betrayals as well as any other blocks, preventing them from health, work, relationships, confidence, and the happiness that they want. She's going to empower us. Welcome to the show, Debbie. Uh, thank you so much. Looking forward to our conversation and really uh, hearing about your diagnosis. I'm I'm just sending you all kinds of healthy healing vibes. And Stephen, I have to say, I'm I'm practicing the 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 healthy aging. I'm actually 87 years old. No, I'm only. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have a question for Stephen before we move on to betrayal. Yeah. My, well, my question. I guess my question is. How do you continue to not uh, just to not get affected by it? because it's so true? There are so many messages. You know, I'm I'm over 55, so I'm in that category of you know where they ask the age groups. It's like it's almost like 45 to 50, 55 plus to, to forgotten. So how do you keep reminding yourself that uh, this is just a new phase and it's it's even it has the potential to be even better than you, you expected? Well, first of all, Debbie, you look really good for 87. <laughs> Thank you. I want to know who does your work. <laughs> Not that you've had any work. Anyway, um, you know, I think that's that's really a great question. And I think what I what I am seeing is there's so many great role models out there, you know, great role models, you know, you know, in the world of celebrity, you know, and 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 people that we know who are living, you know fuller lives, um, active lives, engaged lives. There's this concept that I love, it's called being a perennial. And it doesn't matter how old you are, anybody can be a perennial, but it's really having these attributes about being engaged, wanting to have adventure and being curious. And so I do remind myself of, of those things, you know, on a near daily basis, I keep a gratitude journal in, in part for that, but it does take a certain amount of being awake. So that uh, that is the best answer that I have for you. And I'm Really looking forward to um, the rest of uh, your conversation with Ellen. And thank you for mentioning that too, because I didn't mention the perennial, which I love because I am nuts about flowers. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Like we can just say we're perennials, like everybody can just be a perennial. So let's switch gears again and let's talk about betrayal. First, like, what is it specifically? Why does it hurt? Why does it impact? And what does it create? Yeah. You know, I define betrayal as the breaking of a spoken or unspoken rule. Every relationship has them. And the way it works is the more we trust and the more we depend on that person, the deeper the betrayal. So for example, a child who's totally dependent on their parent, and then the parent does something awful, that's going to have a different impact than let's say your coworker taking credit for your idea, your best friend sharing your secret, still a betrayal, different level of cleanup. In, in the wake. And, and the reason why it affects us so much, I mean, think about it. When the person you trusted the most or the people you trust the most prove untrustworthy, who do you trust? When the one you run to, when other people are causing harm, when that's the one causing the harm, where do you go? It's so foundational. So when that foundation is shattered, it shatters everything, our body, our mind, our worldview. Yeah. So it's not just about the person in that relationship, but that it can erode all of your sense of being able to trust anybody. Well, think about it. What happens is you don't trust the person who betrayed you. And then you don't trust yourself because then you say, I'm a bright person. How did I not see? How did I not know? So if you don't trust the person you trusted the most, and now you don't trust yourself, well, then how in the world can you trust in anyone and anything? And so the, the challenge is, uh, if you don't re if you don't rebuild that you're walking around in this in this state of not having the ability to trust in others and not and then there's no sense of connection life is all about our relationships and connection and and intimacy and we hold all of that at bay when we don't uh, when we don't rebuild that and people ask me all the time can trust be repaired and i say no can it be rebuilt yeah but it's a big job definitely you can do it but it's it's a big job. Yeah, you talk about the the transformational process in your TED talk. So, you this was the topic of your dissertation, which I love. I know my dissertation on self compassion and body image led me into a wonderful place. But what were the groundbreaking discoveries that you made when you did your study? 
Yeah, sure. Well, of course, you know, no one studies betrayal because you like the topic. You study it because you have to. And and it was really after two very painful betrayals for me, uh, one from my family. And then I thought I did everything I needed to do to heal. And then a few years later, my husband, anybody who's been through it, you're blindsided, you're devastated, shocked. So here, that was the deal breaker. So that was it. I got him out of the house and uh, four kids, six dogs, a thriving business. And I'm like, I'm going back for a PhD. And it was in transpersonal psychology, the psychology of transformation and human potential, because I was changing so much, didn't quite understand it. Uh, he was too, wasn't ready to look at that. And then it was time to do a study. So I studied betrayal. What holds us back? What helps us heal? And what happens to us physically, mentally, and emotionally when the people closest to us lie, cheat, and deceive? And yes, that study led to three groundbreaking discoveries, which changed my health, my family, my work, my life. The first one was that originally uh, I was studying betrayal and post-traumatic growth. And for those who aren't familiar, post-traumatic growth is like kind of an upside of trauma, how that trauma, death of a loved one, disease, natural disaster, whatever, leaves you with a new awareness, insight, perspective you didn't have. But I had been through disease and I had been through death of a loved one. And I was like, no, betrayal feels so different. I didn't want to assume it was the same for everyone. So I asked them, if you've been through other crises, does betrayal feel different for you? Unanimously, they said, oh my gosh, it's so different. And here's why. Because it feels so intentional, we take it so personally. So the entire self is shattered and needs to be rebuilt. Rejection, abandonment, belonging, confidence, worthiness, trust. You know, when you lose someone you love, you mourn, you grieve, you're sad. You don't necessarily question your ability to trust again. You don't necessarily take it personally, right? So that type of healing needed its own name, which is now called post-betrayal transformation. So as post-traumatic growth is the complete rebuild of your life, post-betrayal uh, post transformation is, yes, you need to rebuild your life, but you also need to rebuild yourself. That's post-betrayal transformation. That was the first discovery. The second one was that there's actually this collection of symptoms, physical, mental, and emotional, so common to betrayal, it's known as post-betrayal syndrome. And we've had easily 60, 70,000 people take our post-betrayal syndrome quiz on our site to see to what extent they're struggling. What's interesting about that quiz is we've all been taught time heals all wounds. Well, I have the proof when it comes to betrayal, that's not true. There's a question that says, is there anything else you'd like to share? And people write things like, my betrayal happened 40 years ago and I can still feel the hate. My betrayal happened 35 years ago, I'm unwilling to trust again. My betrayal happened 15 years ago, feels like it happened yesterday. So we know betrayal is a very different experience that requires a very different protocol to heal. So. Any questions on that so far? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I love the metaphor that you use that it's like, well, resilience, you know, coming back from trauma is like you repaint your house. Maybe you get remodeled the, the kitchen, but betrayal is like, you know, a tornado's hit your house. The house has been, or, you know, you've had a complete fire. There is no house and you have to rebuild it from scratch. So what are the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough that you discovered in your study? Yeah. So, you know, a betrayal really lends itself to creating an entirely new identity. You take all the parts you love, you leave behind what no longer serves. When the third discovery showed up, that for me was the most exciting. And what we learned was um, while we can stay stuck for years, decades, a lifetime, and so many people do, if we're going to fully heal, and by fully heal, I mean symptoms of post-betrayal syndrome to that whole healed state of post-betrayal transformation, we're going to go through five proven predictable stages. And we even know what happens at every stage. And we know what it takes to move from one stage to the next. There is a roadmap to heal from all of it. So you, would you like me to go through the stages? That would be great for people who are listening. And I'm sure there are people who've experienced this. What are the stages that people go through? I'm okay. I'll be curious to see what, how they differ from the kind of the stages of grief that we probably know really well. Yeah. And, and grief is a very important factor in our healing. And it comes in at a certain stage. It comes in around stage three, stage four. So uh, it's all mapped out in trust. Again, it's what we teach within the Institute. Our coaches are all certified in the five stages, but here's a distilled version. So stage one is like a setup stage. And if you can imagine four legs of a table, the four legs being physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, what I saw with everybody was a real heavy lean on the physical and the mental and kind of neglecting the emotional and the spiritual. 
spiritual. So what does it look like? Looks like we're really good at thinking and doing and not really prioritizing the feeling and being. But if a table, think of a table with only two legs, right? Easier for that table to topple over. That's us. Stage so why, two. I'm curious, why, do, why is the feeling and, and being the spiritual piece and the feeling piece? Is that because we are just, as a, as a culture, we're not taught to feel. We're taught to shove all our emotions down unless we get depression. And then we're taught to you know, like therapy or pills or, you know, or do things for that. But we're not taught that all emotions are valid and how to experience those. And I think we're also not quite taught how to be spiritual. Exactly. And on top of that, we have so many things on our to-do list that the only way we can get it done is to almost, feeling takes time. And we almost turn that down so we, we can become almost machine-like and just check things off our list. Yeah, I think it's important to note, too, that you have to think about the emotional, spiritual. When you're thinking about self-care, it looks like so many different things. We always think about self-care as, you know, I go to the gym, I eat right, I do the mani-pedis, I get a massage, sleep, those things. But then there's a deeper work, which is also part of self-care. Absolutely. And we often neglect that because we're just too busy. We're just too busy getting it done. Now, that's not to say if you're busy, you will be betrayed. This was the typical profile we saw. Stage two, shock, trauma, D-Day, discovery day. This is the scariest of all of the stages. And it's the breakdown of the body, the mind, and the worldview. Right here, you've ignited the stress response. You're headed for every single stress-related mm -hmm. symptom, illness, condition, disease. Your mind is in a complete and total state of chaos and overwhelm. You cannot wrap your mind around the information you just learned. This makes no sense. And your worldview has just been shattered. Your worldview is your mental model, the rules that prevent chaos that govern you. These are the rules. Don't go there. Trust this person. This is how life works. And in one earth shattering moment or series of moments, everything you've known to be real and true is no longer. The bottom is bottomed out on you. And a new bottom hasn't been formed yet. So this is terrifying right? But think about it. If the bottom were to bottom out on you, what would you do? You'd grab hold of anything and everything you could to stay safe and stay alive. That's stage three. Survival instincts emerge. It's the most practical out of all of the stages. If you can't help me, get out of my way. How do I survive this experience? Where do I go? Who can I trust? How do I feed my kids, right? Here's the trap though. Once we figured out how to survive our experience, because it feels so much better than the shock and trauma of where we just came from, we're like, whew, okay, we're good. And because we don't know there's anywhere else to go, we don't know there's a stage four or stage five. Transformation doesn't even begin until stage four. But because we don't know there's anywhere else to go, we start planting roots here. We're not supposed to, but we don't know that. And four things happen. The first thing is you start getting all of those small self benefits, secondary gain. You know, you get to be right. You get, you know, you get a target for your anger. You get sympathy from everyone you tell your story to, right? You, you just, you don't have to do the hard work of learning to trust again. Can I trust you? Should I trust you? I forget it. I'm not going to trust anybody. So you plant deeper roots. Again, you're not supposed mm. to stay here, but you don't know that. And now that you're here longer than you should be, the mind starts kicking in. And now you start thinking things like, well, maybe I'm not all that great. Maybe I deserved it. Maybe this, maybe that. And you plan deeper roots. Now, because this is where you are, these are the thoughts you're thinking. Well, this is the energy you're putting out. So like energy attracts like energy. So now you start calling situations and circumstances and relationships towards you to confirm, yep, this is exactly where you belong. The misery loves company crowd. They come around right. and don't do, right? Gets worse, but I'll get you out of here. Because it feels so bad, but you don't know there's anywhere else to go, right here, you resign yourself. You're like, this stinks, but I don't know what I can do with this. So right here, you start using food, drugs, alcohol, work, TV, keeping busy, anything to numb, avoid, and distract yourself from what's so painful to feel or face. So think about it. You do that for a day, a week, a month, now it's a habit, a year, 10 years, 20 years. And I can see someone 20 years out and say, you know, that emotional eating you're doing or that drinking you're doing, that numbing in front of the TV, do you think that has anything to do with your betrayal? And they would look at me like I'm crazy. You said it happened 20 years ago. All they did was put themselves in stage three and stay there. Does that make sense? 
No, that makes total sense. Just both because the brain naturally wants to, first of all, ruminate. So mm -hmm. we think that if we think about our problems and issues, why is this happening to me? Was this my fault? We reinforce those neurotransmitters that are happening and we think we're going to figure it out. And of course, so much of my work is about both of us are, are dietitian have been working with food and nutrition. I see this all the time where we don't address the food issue. But the food, what's happening is people are, um, when you address the issue, the, the trauma, the betrayal, the eating and the drinking issues go away naturally. But what people are doing is instead of healing the pain and dealing with the trauma and the, the betrayal, they're going for the dopamine squirt. So they're going for mm -hmm. you know, food, sex, rock and roll, yeah. you know, gambling, yeah. shopping, all of those things, which raise your dopamine. The problem is you just need more and more and more of it and it never goes away. And you're never addressing the initial issue. And so the emotion just keeps festering. So what's four and five and yeah. how do we get out of this stage three, which sounds like hell. It is, it's awful. And that's why I wrote from Harden to Heal because while trust again moves someone through the five stages, I found everybody is staying stuck in stage three. You've been through the worst of it already. You owe it to yourself to move through the stages. But if you find you're stuck in stage three anyway, that's why I wrote from Harden to Heal. If you're willing to let go, of the small self benefits, grieve, mourn the loss, bunch of things you need to do. You move to stage four. Stage four is finding and adjusting to a new normal. So here's where you acknowledge, I can't undo my experience, but I control what I do with it. Just in that decision, you're turning down the stress response. You're not healing just yet, but you stopped the massive damage you'd been creating in stages two and stage three. I always use the example of if you were to move, to a new house, office, condo, apartment, whatever. You know, it's not quite cozy or familiar yet, but it's it's okay. It's going to be okay. That's the feeling of stage four. But what's really interesting also about stage four is if you were to move, you don't take everything with you. You don't take the things that don't represent who you want to be. And what I found was if your friends weren't there for you, right here, you've outgrown them. And people say to me all the time, what the heck? I've had these friends 10, 20, 30, 30 years. Is it me? Yes, it is. You're undergoing a transformation. And if they don't rise, they don't come. Very common to change our friendships moving from stage three to stage four. Uh, anyway, yeah, I just find that's true too. Uh, when the transformation in general, I always say if you're, you've got to rehab your relationships or move on because it's like, they still think you're the caterpillar and they're treating mm -hmm. you like the caterpillar. And you're like, wait a minute. No, I'm the butterfly and I need to find butterflies. I need to hang out with people who fly and eat nectar versus people who crawl in the leaves and eat, you know, eat trees. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it is so common. But when we don't know that's coming, we think, what the heck? Well, I was just, I was okay with these people. And now I'm like a fish out of water. I don't belong. Well, that's why. Anyway, when you've made stage four cozy, you've made it home, you know, mentally, you move into the fifth most beautiful stage. And this is healing, rebirth, and a new worldview. The body starts to heal. Self-love, self-care, eating well, exercise, things like that. You didn't have the bandwidth for that earlier. Now you do. Your mind is healing. You're making new rules. You're making new boundaries based on the road you just traveled. And you have a new worldview based on everything you see so clearly now. And the four legs of that table... In the beginning, it was all about the physical and the mental. By this point, we're solidly grounded because we're focused on the emotional and the spiritual too. Those are the five stages. Yeah, that is that is so cool. That it, I mean, I just love what you said about people staying in that stage and having all of the emotional eating, abuse of substances and how you can heal. So how does someone know if they have post-betrayal syndrome or whether or not they've healed from it? Yeah. Well, there, I mean, there are those classic symptoms here, for example, I'll just give you sort of a general way. We see an unhealed betrayal in health and work and relationships. For example, in relationships, I'll see it in one of two ways, a repeat betrayal. A repeat betrayal is a clear sign of an unhealed betrayal. The face has changed, but it's the same thing. There is a profound lesson needing to be learned. I'm not saying that the betrayal is your fault. It's your opportunity. And until and unless you learn what that lesson is. You need better boundaries in place. You are lovable, worthy, and deserving, whatever it is. You will keep having opportunities in the form of people to teach you. The other way we see it is the big wall goes up. You know, it's, it was up, oh, been there, done that. No one's getting near me again. We think that's coming from a place of strength. It's not, it's coming from fear. Clear sign of an unhealed betrayal. In health, we see it this way. People can go to the most well-meaning doctors, coaches, healers, therapists to manage a stress-related symptom, illness, condition, disease at the root of it is an unhealed betrayal. And we see it at work. 
You want to ask for that raise or promotion. You deserve it, but your confidence was shattered in the betrayal. So you don't have the confidence to ask. You want to be a team player, right? A collaborative partner, right? But with your boss, your coworker, but the person you trusted the most proved untrustworthy. How do you trust the boss, the coworker, the partner? It shows up everywhere. Yeah, and you, you talk about in your, your talk as well, the physiological things. I can imagine that heart disease is a big issue, even cancer, you know, inflammation, all of that. So we are almost out of time. So I want let, to let people know, Dr. Debbie, how do they get in touch with you so they can, they can get the healing that they need? Yeah, the best thing to do is, is just to take one of the two quizzes, post-betrayal syndrome quiz or the healed or hardened quiz. You just find everything at the PBT, as in post-betrayal transformation, the pbtinstitute.com. Okay, the PBT, PB, PB, pbtinstitute.com. It is there. It's going to be in the show notes. Debbie, thanks for joining. And thank you all for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, just go to the midlifewhisper.com. That's the midlifewhisper.com. I would love to know what you think about the show. If you have ideas for guests, I would love to know what you thought about today. I hope that you found it very empowering. I know that I learned a lot. Debbie, thanks again for joining. And thank you again all for being here. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rock Your Midlife. We hope this episode has helped you get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week and go rock your midlife.